May the Force be with you, and welcome to Rogue Opinions. Welcome back to The Mandalorian Review, as we're kicking off Season 2 of The Mandalorian with Chapter 9, titled The Marshal. I am one of your hosts of this podcast, Scott McLeod, after a filter of a, a bumper episode last week where we covered two really solid episodes that rounded out Season 1. We follow The Mandalorian's journey into Season 2, where things really get interesting, and I think it's fair to say... And I'm joined, as always, on uh, this journey by the, the Django fit by Boba Fett. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't at all forget to think of a comparison of until three seconds ago. Hello, yeah, it's great to be here. And yeah, you would give me the older one, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only compliment I can give is that you have, I was going to say, oh, you have the better death. Boba Fett is like, Oh, I Fed just got knocked into the back, whereas you know, he, Django got to go face to face with boat with uh, Mace Windu. Then I realised, like, actually, whether we're going to talk about it later on, but with it's not even dead. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, he's, he's actually not even dead, is he? So, uh, yeah, yeah, we yet to see his uh, his true death. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see that at some point down the line. But I apologise for that. You know, I have no other explanation for. For this comparison, I'm talking at my arse once again, but we're here to talk about Mandalorian and what a fit, what more fitting day to release this episode than May the 4th, International Star Wars Day. We don't usually have a, a set day uh, for these shows. Uh, certain shows on the feed you know, have their own like set day. Usually you'll hear like, the Rogue Ritual's interview on a Sunday or something like that, but we thought like we can't let Star Wars Day go by without the one Star Wars later thing we do here in Rogue Pines, you know, it's a, a very fine day because you're listening to this on the same day that the Bad Batch, that we've talked about before, drops the first episode on Disney Plus. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's nice to tie it all together. Yeah, it's uh, no better day to uh, release the Mando pod, um, especially when it's uh, the first episode of the second season on May the 4th. So, mm. uh, May the fourth be with you, as they say. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, I mean, is it possible to even just put all the Star Wars stuff together in a week collection on called Tales May the Fourth? So you know, it's all getting fully in the swing of things. I I do like try and tell myself I'll watch a lot of Star Wars related stuff on May the Fourth, but I never usually get around to it. But now that the Bad Batch has dropped, you know, there's something uh, readily available, so I look forward to being able to watch uh, that. Uh, well, I was also very excited to watch uh, this episode because I remember the first episode of season two being a really solid episode. Uh, and it's really good that we're keeping the theme going from the last episodes we talked about. So let's dive into the Marshall. Uh, we, we open on a planet where you don't actually get to hear the name of the, the planet that they're on, but uh, Mando or Din Djarin, as we now know him, uh, walks with the child through this really... Uh, Dimly lit street. You see these wee red eyes. We don't know what these creatures are that are uh, watching on, but they're not coming into the light. And uh, Mando goes to a Gamorrean's fight, which are those kind of green pig-like creatures. You may recognise them from like uh, Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. They were there at like Jabba's palace, and he's there. He meets someone called Gore Koresh, who is voiced by John Leguizamo. Of uh, well, I know him as Sid the Sloth, and he's looking for information. Uh, to locate other Mandalorians to help him and he's searched for another of Grogu's kind, another Jedi and, you know, the guy's saying, oh, let's just watch the fight first and he's 
try and make a bet on uh, the fight and try and get Mando to put his armour up and Mando doesn't uh, agree to it, he's not buying into it. And then Gorka basically tries to backstab Mando and steal the armour for himself but Mando quickly, you know, takes out his goons he has go running but he leaves him dangling from a pole and is told that uh, he needs to go to Tatooine to find this Mandalorian in a city called Mos Palgo and Mando basically leaves him for those uh, red-eyed creatures to, to get at because he says, he says to him, you won't die by my hands so he just turns, he shoots the light out and then obviously these creatures like dark so out come these things you just hear Gorkaris screaming so clearly not a, a nice fate befalled him and so Mando goes back to Tatooine, he goes back to meet uh, Petty Moto, who we, we met before in the uh, in episode 5 of The Gunslinger. And, you know, we see a little change in Mando, you know, he, he lets the droids work on him, he gets he lets the droids work on the ship, he gets information from her, she basically says that Mos has been off the map for a long time, you know, bandits came and swooped in right after the Empire. And so Mando takes her speed away, along with the child, he goes to Mos and he He's told that the marshal there, Carl Van, wears Mandalorian amber, and we see Carl Van uh, enter the, the cantina where Mandalorian's going for information, and not only is he wearing Mandalorian armor, but he's wearing Boba Fett's armor, which he claims he bought off some Jawas, and we, uh, we see that Carl Van is played by Timothy Oliphant, and uh, it looks like he and Mandalorian are going to come to blows over the armor, but they end up striking a, a deal for the armor when a uh, Bando uh, sees that there's a creature called the Crate Dragon that's causing havoc for, for their village and for the, the Tuscan Raiders that are you know, well nearby. So Mando has to help the, the, the town people and the Tuscan Raiders come together to, to take out this Crate Dragon in exchange for the armour, which they, we do, and we'll delve into how they take out the, the dragon later on. But you know, he and Echo uh, Van shake hands, they leave on good terms, but as Mando, you know, Rides off in his speeder into the sunset. We uh, we see Boba Fett watching on as he sees who's got his armor. Uh, he's just credited as a you no know, shadowy figure, but I think people recognise the guy. We knew he was Boba Fett, and also he'll be revealed later on in the series that it is indeed Boba Fett. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a good that. Um, is it the same actor that played Django Fett in uh, Clone Wars? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah. And he also popped up in uh, episode three as Commander Cody and a few other clones because obviously Django's DNA made the clones, so they all made us he looks identical. And uh, now he's also playing uh, Boba Fett. Uh, I, I, it's interesting because uh, there are talk about some uh, clones maybe popping up in one of the other series, like potentially the Obi Wan TV show, and so they could get that same actor in to to play those characters, which would be interesting for him. You know, he gets you know, double the money for that kind of thing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I wouldn't say no to that. But uh, also, uh, this is the second time in a, in a week that I've on a podcast I mentioned a story about me meeting somebody because I talked about a wrestling sign on the Mania 2000 pod. But before we, we delve into the episode and get your thoughts on it, Carl, have I ever told you that I actually met the original Boba Fett? No, no, definitely you have. Yeah, uh, I met a sign and there was a, a, a sign called a, a convention called Collector Mania. Uh, I went to uh, I can't even remember when uh, 2013 maybe or maybe something like that but yeah I met, I met Jeremy something he was a English actor who played them in the original series he was under the, the suit and you know I paid money I got a sign thing I got a frame I got a, a 
with an image of him, he writes, you're next, and then he, he signed his name, and I've got it in a frame, so I've got an autograph from Boba Fett. Wait, he was played by Goldberg? <laughs> well, no, that's pretty awesome, <laughs> that is. Sorry, that took me that took me way longer than it should have to put two and two together there. But yeah, that was great. But, uh, I'm pretty sure that actor has uh, actually since passed away, which is, is also great that he was a he was fairly old when when I met, met him there. But uh, to Morrison is the name of the actor who played Django and is now playing uh, this version, this older kind of version of Boba, which makes sense that you get him in because Boba technically wasn't his son; he was technically a clone. But you know they stunted. I think he's growth, so he would like he wouldn't go to full size like the rest of them, so he could be kept as as Django's son. Yeah, and you you sort of see him um, in the Clone Wars, um, Boba Fett, don't you? As a, as a young lad, as he sort of gets yeah. into being a, a bounty hunter, as he's looking for revenge um, on his father's killer uh, I think it was Mace Windu he wanted revenge on if I remember correctly so yeah it's quite a nice little nice little thing there that you, you've sort of seen him develop over the over time yeah because like, this is a similar area to where Mando would have went uh, in Gunslinger because he said he was sent beyond the Jun Sea which is they said wasn't far from Mos Pagel because uh, the secret dragon was hiding, hiding an old Sarlacc but and so obviously Boa Fett would have what we thought was killed by the Sarlacc, but he manages to escape. I think there are all sorts of things about it, and like expanded me like novels and comics and all sorts about how he survives and things like that. But so and they and they do also use the Sarlacc to get a foot over how a how deadly this crate dragon is. He says he lives in an abandoned Sarlacc, but and. Got there's no such thing as an abandoned Sarlacc pit, and Mano just goes, as if you kill the Sarlacc. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, this, this, uh, this creature is absolutely massive, and it's brilliantly realised as well. I mean, the special effects and the cinematography on, on this episode are just brilliant, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, you see some brief glimpses of like, his head and neck, but... Uh, the Hiskin Raiders have got a better look at it, so when they show like, these, are these, bits, these bones to kind of show, like, explain to Mando and Cobb Vance how it looks, and uh, like, Cobb Vance, like, and Vance, like, no, I can't beat a scale, and like, it is, they've seen more of us than you, and you see the kind of expression in his face, like, geez, I didn't realise how big the thing was, and you get a bigger look at it, because the thing keeps, like, moving about, coming out of the the mountains and everything to like spray this like acid kind of stuff on them, which kind of explains why they call it a dragon. Because I looked down like it looks like a, a giant worm, basically. But then it starts spewing this kind of acid thing that just you know burns the Tuscan Raider skin and everything. And uh, there were points where I looked at the design of it and they kind of reptilian. I thought there were points where like that kind of looks a bit like the a better version of the shitty uh, Godzilla from the 1998 Godzilla film. <laughs> <Matthew> <laughs> Yeah, you can see why they call it a dragon, definitely, and that, yeah. yeah, It was dangerous enough, and then it starts, as you say, shooting out this like, acid from from its mouth, so it uh, wasn't great. There's also a funny bit where the, the Tuscan Raiders um, go to the cave and leave one of those sort of, like, mammoth-type creatures, and uh, the dragon completely ignores 
completely ignores the bigger mammoth thing and eats the Tuscan Raider instead. Yeah, and then that, I think that's where they decide to kind of try and team up with the townsfolk and people uh, uh, like, hmm, I think we kind of need a bigger, we need a better plan. And well, I say they, they decide that Mando decides for them where like he's being able to speak like Tuscan Raider, like he's doing similar to like he did again and, and Gunsling where he's able to communicate with them. Uh, whereas Cobb and, you know, he, he uh, doesn't really at first get along with them because, you know, he's like, oh, they've raided my town, but yeah, but you've killed like twice as many of their people. And so he says, like, I volunteered your village. And then Govan has to kind of go along with the plan and convince the people that, like, again, we'll, all, we'll all die if we don't, like, team, like, temporarily uh, with, the, with the raiders and, like, you know, like, take this thing out. So this episode in particular uh, really leans into kind of the Western idea of, uh, of Star Wars, doesn't it? Yeah, it has got a very sort of Western feel to it. I also like um, the fact that it, it tells you a little bit about what happened when they uh, defeated the Empire as well. It mm-hmm. wasn't like everything went um, all back to normal and roses and everybody being happily ever after. Uh, there was a power vacuum and people just as bad came to fill came to fill that and took out took over the took over the village until um the marshal got the uh Boba Fett's armor and was able to chase them out of town. So yeah. and that probably happened um in loads of other places as well and that's what tends to happen in real life as well when you remove a dictator or or, or somebody, someone nearly or just as bad seems to take their place unfortunately. Yeah, because like, it shows they, like, when they're out in their speeders or like uh, they're going out to, to find the dragon, uh, you've got Mando on the speeder bike, but uh, what I like to hear, uh, you've got Cobb Vance on what looks like to be like the old engine part of a of a pod racer, and obviously Tatooine would be in the, was the site of one of the better scenes of the Phantom Mess, the pod racing uh, scene, so I like that little kind of call back to like, the, the prequels, and, and I remember... The very brief uh, time I can remember having an N64 was uh, there were two games I can remember playing on N64. One was a pod racing game where you like, get all these different like circuits and the other was like a Pokemon Stadium. That's a con- one console I never owned was the N64. Bizarre. I don't know don't know why. I just never bothered getting never get never bothered getting one of those. Yeah, I only briefly remember it. Uh, I think we, me and brother might have had no mercy, but I didn't think I don't think I played it at the time because I wasn't into uh, into video games yet. So you know, I didn't have the same attachment to like, like games like No Mercy, those early WWF games, like some other people. Uh, yeah, because I remember shortly after that we got the PlayStation Two, and I remember that as my first proper video game console. Because the, the PlayStation Two, and I sound uh, I feel weird saying this as if I'm older than I actually am, but. There's something I love about the PS2 that I'm annoyed that PlayStation haven't kept doing with later models is that they had that big red kind of memory card thing in the the game where you could save everything, all your progress there, take that out, go to somebody else's house who also had a PS2, plug that in, and then you just continue the game at somebody else's house but from where you left off, which I've never been able to do with other PlayStations, which I've never wondered why the hell you'd ever get rid of something like that. Yeah, they've they've gone all uh, safe and everything onto the hard drive now, haven't they? So yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that uh, that was a good feature, being able to use memory cards. Yeah, and now you have to like put a thing in, the thing needs to set it up and do updates for a fucking 20 hours before you can play. <laughs> <with you. laughs> Honestly, I remember my birthday, finally getting Spider-Man for the PS4 like ages after everybody else had fucking played it. And then I went to you know set it up and everything and then realised I had to fucking wait. And I had to go, oh, I suppose I should go back in the living room and talk to people. Because I... It's like, ah, I could continue to talk to people after I've already got my presents, or I could go, you know, you know play this video game, and then like, ah, I can, this game will be ready to play in about two fucking hours. Yeah, it's crazy that even with the discs, you have to wait sometimes ages for the for the game. I think Red Redemption 2, my mate bought that, and he said he had to wait about a day before he could play it, because he had two discs. <laughs> but... <Jesus. laughs> Just crazy. Yeah. yeah, the fod reason thing got me kind of sidetracked on about video games, but I uh, the thing is, so they go into the desert and he's telling Mando about what it was like and why he got the armor. Because at first, Mando was quite like you know affronted of had a non Mandalorian is is not wearing the armor because Crow Mando admits he's not a real Mandalorian because he says, oh, "Oh, I've never met a real Mandalorian. Are you guys are really good at killing." Uh, and he explains what's like literally like they're watching a thing of uh, the Empire being blown up and they're all celebrating. Literally as they're still jumping up and down and celebrating like people coming and trying to take over. And Vance tries to get out there, he takes this container thing where he does realise of these crystal things that so he's left wandering like the Tatooine like, like desert with no water, no food and until he runs across the Jawas who want the thing he's got and are willing to give him whatever he wants in exchange and then he sees that they've got Boba Fett's armour. And he says, uh, I'll use this to help clear the town. And he talks about how people people rely on him to make sure to keep the people keep the town kind of safe and things like that. And so you know, you get real idea. It's not as if he just like stole it for like, the sake of it. He's 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 actually a decent guy, seemingly, and he had a good reason for it. So, what did you think of uh, of Cobb Vance as a as a character? Yeah, I liked him, as you say, he seemed to have uh, good motives to why he had the armour. It's not like he stole it off Boba Fett's uh, cold corpse or anything like that. He came across it by pure chance, and yeah, he he used it to good effect to help uh, clear out his village of uh, bandit types. It it shows you, because he gets shot, and... um, the, the, the armor protects him. But what, why don't stormtroopers have armor that protects them? I mean, they, they, they wear, I don't get what that armor's for on a stormtrooper because <laughs> they get shot and they just die. I mean, what what does it do? <laughs> I do think watching back the second time, though, as good as the armor is eh, for him and what he's using it for, eh, when he actually stands next to Mando, considering he's wearing somebody else's, and obviously the armor by this point is probably a bit old because, like, the the uh, the jailers probably were in the salary pit where they probably found it, so it's obviously a bit damaged. But when he when he stands next to anybody, when he stands next to Mando with his big shiny beskar, you're like, huh? That 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 armor looked cool in the, the the original trilogy. It doesn't look as good when you stand next to him, where Mando looks more Django fit and and the art style of his armor, and you've got a. Uh, you got Tim Sullivan in this role. I've always been a fan of him. He, he, he's not, I've not seen too many things with him in it, but he always seems to be a quite decent actor. And 
I know he's been in Westerns before. I mentioned like, the Western field. I know he's in uh, Justified, which I've, I've never seen, but uh, I've heard it's good. And I do weirdly remember him mainly as uh, he was in the the original uh, Hitman film from like the mid-2000s, not the really shit one that came out with. I can't remember who it was that played him in the sequel, but, uh, but the original Hitman film, I thought he was actually quite decent in that. So and weirdly, this role kind of combines the two with the... Uh, Kind of uh, being good at killing and also the western kind of style of him being the marshal, so he kind of gets to put aspects of those two roles together for this for this part. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Timothy Oliphant. I think first film I saw him in was like this like indie flick called Go, where he played like a really shady drug dealer type. Um, and yeah, I think I think he might have been in Deadwood as well. I'm not too sure, but he's. Pop, yeah, he's and he's also in that. Um, is it Santa Clarita Diet or whatever it is with Brew Dr- Barrymore? Which oh, yeah. is like a, a zombie. I think he plays her husband in that. So yeah, he's he's a good actor. He pops up in all sorts of uh, films and programs, and I think he's really good in this role. Yeah, he's really he's one of those actors who can kind of jump between playing a good guy and a bad guy. I remember he was a villain in a. Die Hard 4, which also is by no means the, the best of the Die Hard films, but at least it's the best go back and say is he was good in it, and it's not as bad as fucking Die Hard 5, where half the film's in Russian and doesn't give you subtitles. But, you know, that aside, uh, when he and uh, Mando go through and they run into like, the sand people, and obviously he's having to play a peacekeeper, when they first see the, uh, the sand people, They've got these uh, pack of these like dog-like creatures called uh, massives, and I recognise them immediately. Like I'm sure, and I had to look this up. They were the same. It was one of these yeah creatures featured in uh, episode two uh, during the big stadium scene on Geonosis, where you have got Obi Wan, Anakin, and Padme basically been like held hostage in the stadium, and then there was these like big these three creatures, and one of the creatures was one of these things. So. Uh, with that, again, some weird uh, references to the little callbacks to the prequels uh, throughout this episode. And there's also, I think, part of the reason this episode is also so good and carries on from uh, the quality of the last two episodes. It's not unless it's written by John Favreau. This is, the, to date, the only episode in across both series to be directed by John Favreau as well. Yeah, written and both directed by John Favreau and it's yes yeah, uh, you can sort of tell it's a really strong episode really really good it's one of the longer episodes um mm-hmm. rocking in at about 50 odd minutes but it doesn't feel that long it just it's it's so tightly scripted and so um well put together it just flies by it really does mm-hmm. yeah totally and I'm surprised with like, the fact they included the pod racer and the, that creature that I mentioned, you know, these references to prequels. I'd expect that in a Dave Filoni kind of directed episode with his connection to things like the, the Clone Wars and everything like that. But, you know, Favreau is also clearly passionate about all things Star Wars as well. And this great dragon, uh, something that we find that a lot of people might not know is that there's a scene, one of the first scenes in, the, uh, in A New Hope, You've got R2 and C3 real wandering through the desert of Tatooine after their, their pods, skate pod landed. And uh, in the background is a, a skeleton, which is later being confirmed to be the skeleton of a crate dragon. So, huh? like, I, I don't think at the time, also when they made episode four, that they knew that's what it was. They just wanted something fakely 
like straight some sort of strange creature like thing in the background because you know sci-fi and all that but later uh, we confirmed that it was a crate dragon and I don't know if this a little bit's been confirmed but uh, there's some who say that when Obi-Wan makes a weird noise to scare the sand people when he first appears to, to see Luke in episode 4 that he was trying to imitate the, the sound that a crate dragon would make in order to scare the sand people away because as you can see in and this episode, the Sand People are obviously very wary of the uh, the Crate Dragon because it's obviously killed and ate many of their people. Yeah, that's some uh, interesting little tidbits there, Scott. I never really even realised all that before, so that's good. Yeah, and you would be pretty scared of the Crate Dragon because yeah. um, it's absolutely massive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even think, even though we keep seeing it pop out through like, the mountains and that, and you got to see, like, uh, Mando using his new jetpack along with Cobb fans to got to fly up and try and get its attention. I don't think we get to truly properly see the full like length of the thing. Uh, and also part of the deal with they make with the sand people is that they get to keep the the carcass. And when they do kill it eventually, when Mando basically it looks like he's gonna like, he lets himself get eaten along with one of the bantas. It's got like a bunch of detonators on it, and they manage to blow the thing up. Uh, as soon as it's done, you, you see the the sand people basically looking at the boat, picking at the bones of it, getting the meat, and they find some weird pearl thing inside. I don't know what that was meant to be. And uh, what's also nice is that Mando gets, he's got Grogu on the back of a, a speeder bike, and he's got a big chunk of the meat, which I'm assuming he's going to feed to the child because the child eats everything. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the, the, this pill thing, just to put it in perspective, is absolutely massive as well. <laughs> it's not like a little oyster pill, it's a huge, so could be worth a few bob, that. Mm. But yeah, I like, oh. I like the fact that um, Grogu's basically riding in the saddlebag, with him, <laughs> and you sort of see him peeking out when they're riding, which is... Uh, <laughs> quite funny and another little funny bit near the start that i like is when um it looks like um the marshal and mando are gonna sort of face off over the armor uh grogu sort of leans out of his uh little pod thing and he presses a button to close it <laughs> oh yeah i think that, that comes a uh... uh at the the fight with uh, the corporate but yeah i do know about you on that you see he kind of looks presses the wee thing and just kind of goes in. I remember that was in the trailers for season two and that is a funny wee moment that he just, he doesn't do a lot in this episode of Grill Group but you see his wee his little things that he does uh, like still make it some of the funnier parts of the episode because he's got that and like when it looks like he and it looks like uh, Vance and Mandor are going to come to blows you know they say do you really want to do this in front of the kid and Mandor just goes he's seen worse and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, also the, the child's rightfully like scared of the uh, the crate dragon whenever it appears, and the kid will almost look sad for a second because like Mando lets the thing swallow him, and then there's a this long pause, and everybody's looking around, and before the thing pops back up, Mando gets out of it and then detonates the the charges that are now inside it on the the banter. so the thing explodes. So for, they give you that little second of like. You know, tension. Even though it's the first episode of the second season of a show called The Mandalorian, so they were hardly likely to to kill off Dinjarin in that in that manner. But so yeah, and also he's he's moment on the saddle bike and the wee saddle, the speeder where he just his wee face is all happy, his wee ears are flapping, his 
and there's been through like a dog that's sitting in the passenger seat of a car with his wee head out the window. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, really cute, fair play. <laughs> and they have quite a good plan. Uh, the first plan's quite a good plan as well to to, to bury like, the explosives under the ground, draw the Great Dragonite and blow him up from underneath because uh, they were told his belly is the most vulnerable part. And they've got like these big scorpion trash mill things that fire the arrows and i mean they're like they're like needles going mm-hmm. into the huge crate dragon and they're, they're trying to hold on to it and he's, he's just pulling the uh tuscan raiders about everywhere they're flying all over the place as they're trying to hold him hold on to him with this rope and that but yeah they, they do trigger the explosives underneath it but unfortunately it doesn't it doesn't kill him it doesn't kill him it just makes it angry and it goes on a bit mm-hmm. of a goes on a bit of a rampage then like burying itself underground and then coming back up at different spots and attacking them until as you say mando comes up with his uh, secondary plan yeah because they try to lure it out as far as they can where they laid the explosives there to get it underneath it in the one spot is vulnerable and uh, Mando, when it looks like the plan's not uh, working, he, he just he, he says an expression that comes. It gets said a couple of times in the second season. I think it might have been said once or twice in season one. He says the phrase "thank Ferk," which I think is maybe the Star Wars account of saying "God damn it," because uh, obviously Star Wars has got its own weird like level of insults, which seem more funny than insulting, like Princess Leia calling Han a nerf herder in Episode Five. But you never actually hear anybody swear or anything like that, so they have to like come up with their own kind of language, their own insults and like phrases like that. Uh, it reminds me of, like I don't know if you ever watched Red Dwarf, but they use the phrase "meg" a lot, or and using that in different phrases. And I think the the people involved in the show said they they came up with words like that because they were told you're on the BBC, so you're not allowed to swear. So instead of swearing, they just call someone "meg" or a "smeghead" or "smeg off." Yeah, it's a clever way to sort of introduce insults and sort of curse words by just making making your own up. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you, you keep your sort of sort of child friendly ratings. Yeah, because like it's like the people who are you trying to complain about, like the made up word in a fictional universe, you can't really get offended. So you're kind of like it's a case of like what exactly they're going to do about it. So you know you can get away with it like that and. Uh, I really liked the, the, the way they were all trying to find different ways to you know, take out the Crate Dragon because, again, it's a different type of action scene in a Star Wars uh, film, a uh, Star Wars like TV show or any kind of product. And they also got the scene uh, where Mando's having to rely mostly on his, using his, his hands to kind of beat people off at the start when Gorkores tries to uh, take his, his back on him. Uh, a little bit of wrestling sneaking into the start of this episode because, uh, for one, it's a six-sided ring that these uh, creatures are fighting in at the start. And also one of them tries to dive over the top onto Mando and Mando just moves out the way. It's uh, See, TNA has survived for so long they've even made it into into <laughs> space now with the six-sided ring and everything. <laughs> I know, and Mando's just a small joke. A small joke, we would do that. Somebody goes to the dive, small joke, we just walk away. So, there you go. Some more Joe for season three of Mandalorian confirmed. <laughs> well, he's got some free time on his hands now, unfortunately, so you never know. 
I mean, we've seen we'll see a wrestler later on in season two, and Joe's getting into the world of acting. You know, he's he's voicing King Shark in an upcoming uh, Suicide Squad video game. So you know, I wouldn't necessarily you know rule it out. I would like to see that. Uh, I also mentioned a uh, quite a brutal way to start the episode with the way obviously Corkrise is clearly a scumbag. Uh, the way he portrays Mando, but he basically says like, you know, he says, "Don't give me your word, you won't kill me." When you won't die by my hand, and then he just leaves them to die with all these these creatures with the red eyes. You don't really know exactly what they look like, but you know it'll, they've not got something good planned for him when he's just dangling there. Yeah, it's sort of um, you do you knew something was going to happen to him as soon as he said that you won't die by my hand. And yeah, you know you're going to die, but obviously Mendo's not going to kill you. And have you ever seen um, Doctor Who? episode forest i think it's like forest of books or something where they have this creature that lurks in the darkness called vasta nevada kind of reminded me a little bit of that those creatures hiding in the darkness uh i can't say i have but i, I get what you're, what you're saying of that uh, kind of comparison one weird thing about the great dragon is that i, I think you spoiled it for the beauty of the seconds but for a wee while when i was watching it whenever it was coming out of its little uh, cave i wondered does that thing not have eyes so I'm looking at it, and I think you can see the tiniest eyes, like it's just for the biggest second when you when you see it side on, when Vance and uh, Mando are up on their jetpacks trying to shoot at it. Uh, you see it for the biggest things, but it's one of those things, that for a second, like, that thing does not look like it has eyes. And I was really looking for it. And uh, Mando kind of hits uh, Vance's jetpack to order him, like, move him out of the way and make sure like he doesn't try and stop him from doing what he's plan on doing to kill the Crate Dragon. I think that was also maybe a kind of a, a nod to uh, a nod to how Boba Fett got killed when, when uh, Hansel kind of bangs in his jetpack and he sends him flying. And I think that was what maybe like that, what that was kind of in reference to. Yeah, it could have been. It's quite a good detail if it's uh, a creature that dwells in caves or underground. Uh, those, sort of, those sort of animals in real life tend to have very small eyes or Eyes that aren't very good, so it's a, it's a you know good little detail that it, it didn't have uh, very big eyes. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they, they kill the dragon, they shake hands, uh, Vance and, and Mando, and you know, they say they hope their crafts cross again. And Mando kind of rides off, like I said. And I do hope we see Cobb Vance again. Uh, I guess I think we could see him either in a Man- Mando season three somewhere or. There's no that's they can't pop up in this uh, upcoming Boba Fett TV show that we're meant to get uh, this December, you know, because they're both taking place on ta- that, that Boba Fett show is set to take place like mostly on Tatooine, so there's always a chance you could pop back up. So I look forward to that. Uh, it's only a tiny thing, but before we kind of move into Boba Fett and that uh, the fact that Mando when he comes out, like you know, Petty Moto acknowledges the fact that you know he doesn't like droids, but Mando just says that oh, you might as well. And let's them because I think he's, he's becoming a bit more tolerant of droids after what happened with IG 11 in the last episode. And plus, he knows that, as we've mentioned before, his ship's not in the best of Nick, so his ship needs all the work it can get. Yeah. And as we'll see in future episodes, his ship gets an even worse Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think it's just being held together with fucking duct tape. Yeah, I mean, if there's a ship MOT, he's, he's not passing it. <laughs> Uh, I see uh, that Grogu doesn't really play a big role in this. I remember 
I knew that uh, going into this to watch it for this podcast, but I remember at the time uh, watching it, and you know, well, I wasn't sure if uh, what role Coco was going to play. I didn't know if they were going to have him like Mando taking away, and was he going to leave him with Belly Mosso like he did when the, the Gunslinger episode? Was uh, Grogu going to try and use his use the Force like he did with the Mudhorn and in, in season one? But you know, he's kind of just on the side, and he still has some decent like little moments, and which probably makes probably makes what, him more memorable in this episode than if he had a bigger role. But Brian, uh, what do you what did you think at the time when you saw when you were watching it the first time and they did the reveal of a uh, of Boba Fett? Yeah, I thought it was quite cool, actually. Uh, took me. Uh, I had to go back, um, rewatch the little, the little bit at the end, just to clarify it was who I thought it was, because uh, it's a very sort of brief cameo by him. But mm. yeah, it, it's it's a good little. It's good, and uh, it sort of get more. We get we get more from him uh, later on in the season. He plays quite a crucial crucial role to be fair so uh it's setting up you know it's a good episode and it's setting up quite a few things for uh for, for the rest of the season yeah i definitely agree with that i was was shocked to see him I'm like is that the evil with it also and like you can see the scars on his face because this is like the first season is like five or so years after uh return of the jedi and so also i think and uh, not long you, th- you would think would have passed between end of episode eight and the start of this episode. So, you know, he's still uh, not, the winds are still fresh almost from him being able to escape the starlight, but maybe we'll get more detail on how he survived when we get his own TV show later this year. But I almost forgot about him because, like, he appears here, but it, it does take a few episodes from to reappear. So, because uh, I was watching this weekly, there was a point where I almost forgot that he'd actually appeared in the first place. I thought maybe, like, I showed up, but it's only a little bit. Maybe we'll, we won't get him until, like, say, the next series. But it does take a wee while for me to, like, pop back up again. Yeah, and it's probably their intention as well, why they left it uh, for a few episodes so to sort of be an, a, a nice surprise again when he when he does show up for a second time in the series. And, of course, he's not the only person who uh, who is returning in that episode as well, which will... <laughs> leave for now but we'll get to in due course yeah totally and I would definitely say that you know in terms of a premiere episode they they knocked it apart especially with John Favreau at the helm of it so I think that's probably why he he decided to set in the director's chair because he knew also they wanted to start off season 2 strong after the great uh, praise that season 1 got uh I remember there is one shot with Mando like stepping into that uh, canteen, if you can call it that, uh, if that's what you want to call it, uh, where he meets Carl Van for the first time, where like, the way he stands in the doorway is very similar, I thought, to how he enters that, that bar at the very like, the first time you see him in episode one of the first season. And I think uh, what you can say about the first two seasons of Mandalorian is that they know how to start off a series, because I think this is very much as strong a... Uh, as the the first episode, because I remember you and Reese when you talked about uh, the pilot episode, like we're raving about that episode. 
Yeah, and uh, I think it's fair to say they also know how to end the series as well, because mm-hmm. I know it's a bit away, but both season finales are, are excellent pieces of television, and you know, I'm buzzing to get to, to this season's finale, as well as a couple of other episodes as well. Um, not so much the very next episode, but <laughs> after, after that, it's just great episode after great episode. Yeah, I, I would argue with you there because I think it does now put a lot of pressure on season three, that, that season's that first episode to really like deliver in terms of a, a kickoff to a show, especially with the big change that will probably happen this season, given what happened at the end of season two. But yeah, some people have seen that, but we don't want to talk too much about it until we get there. But uh, the next episode, as you said, yeah, uh, they are, we take a bit of a speed bump or a bit of an iceberg in terms of our uh, our run of good episodes with uh, The Passenger, which we're going to get uh, in the next episode. And what's weird is that I believe The uh, the Passenger next uh, episode is directed by Peyton Reed, who also directs the, the pilot episode, the, uh, the finale of this season. So it's weird that as good as the finale, as we made reference to, is directed by the same person who makes the next episode, which is, by far, not just the weakest of this series, but the weakest of both series, of both seasons of The Mandalorian overall. Yeah, but it's not like a bad episode because the acting or visual effects are bad or anything. It's just it's just a bit bland with uh, not a huge amount happening. I think it's its biggest problem. It's almost like it's almost like a filler episode, really, which sounds strange coming in at the second episode, but it. Mm-hmm. it it's almost what it is, and after but after that, I guess as as I already said, it's it's just excellent TV all the way through, and I can imagine it's still better than uh, reviewing WrestleMania 2000. <laughs> well, uh, I can't argue really too much there, but I mean, oh, I mean, the next episode doesn't have a triangle ladder match, so you know that's what. That's one point. That's a one point in the call for WrestleMania two thousand. But it, but it doesn't. But it doesn't. It also doesn't have a head cheese versus uh, Test and Albert. Oh jeez. <laughs> uh, if you haven't listened to the Mania two thousand review, the first part of it, uh, the part two overall beats in. Uh, go check out part one. Uh, it's in a backlog once this episode's finished. But I legit like last night while watching this, I thought. Maybe maybe I can talk to Carl about doing another like season two episodes in one where about either but putting episode two and reviewing episode three in the one podcast. I thought I wouldn't actually want to sell episode three by talking about this one first. So I think I think maybe we do next week. We'll do episode two, but uh, don't be surprised if if next week's podcast is one of the shorter ones we've ever done. Yeah, don't be surprised if it's like five minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> it was an episode. It happened. <laughs> I mean, um, with my arachnophobia, I don't really want to have to watch it again, if I'm completely honest, but there you go. I mean, I try to pause it every episode every so often and then take my notes. I may I try not to be on my phone too much while I'm watching these uh, episodes because this is very good t- TV, so I don't want to, you know, I completely be focused. I may have issues not keeping off my phone for the next episode, but uh, we'll wrap this one up by just, girl, give me your... What would your overall rating be out of 10 for uh, the Marshall? 
I'd give it eight and a half. It's a really strong episode, but there's so much better to come that I can't rate it too high. But yeah, it's definitely eight and a half at least. I'd give I'm giving this a nine out of ten. If we get I think at the time I think as a kick off the season it's solid, especially with John Favreau at the head. But yeah, I think when you thought about what's to come, I think just take slightly taking that into consideration and uh, I think yeah, I don't want to just overshoot it. I think yeah, it's a good start to the series, so a nine out of ten is the best I can say for it. Not that that one that's been taken off is for anything outwardly. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of little references I like picking up and I like when I get to talk about, like, oh, this is a wee reference to this thing and that thing here. And, you know, the nerd and me likes to nitpick little things like that. So, yeah, I think I know it as a celebrate, like you said, you said eight and a half. So it follows on, and it's not that much of a departure from when we were talking about the last two episodes uh, last week. But, Carol, as we jump on our speeder bikes or our reconfigured pod racers and sail off, towards uh, The Passenger, which is next week's episode. Please let the people of uh, listening to this know your plugs. Yes, uh, you can find me at Carlos underscore fire 80 on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at rogue underscore opinions on Twitter and Instagram, and you can also find links to our websites on Twitter, which is easier for me to say than try and recite the long-winded uh, web address we have. Um, you can follow, uh, you can look for uh, our other podcasts, older, older Mandalorian episodes of the back catalogue. Uh, you can find me and Liam talking about uh, popular villains, uh, uh, a very sort of niche one up at the moment, Frank Booth from the film Blue Velvet. So check that out. And also the last episode of our football pod, Banter Munich, will be up probably in a day or two after this. So uh, look out for that. We do our end-of-season awards. Uh, basically, Man-, Man City have won the Premier League and the three teams at the bottom are the teams that are going down. So we feel confident we're safe um, doing that. So tune in uh, for that. And over to you, Scott. Thank you very much, uh, Carl. Yeah, you can, as Carl mentioned, uh Take our socials, you know, Rogue underscore Pine on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Mania 2000 Part 1 with myself, Sam, and Reen. Uh, we covered the first, we have covered five out of the nine matches on that card in the first half. And I think this Sunday is when Part 2 will likely be released. Uh, we would have ended Part 1 on the, on the Triangle Adam match, but we thought we don't want to start Part 2 talking about that fucking cat fight. So we debate the bullet and end talking about that, that cat fight. Uh, I think we talked about it longer than the match actually happened. But, you know, that and the other episodes of the Rogue Witch Imagine if you're in the back catalogue as we're going to come out of Britain in 2000 and onto better things of the year 2000. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scott McLeod1996. It's all about awards. If you like awards, then you're going to love the fact that coming soon, because uh, it's the second anniversary later this month of Rogue Opinions, the anniversary awards are back. Myself, Nathan and Carl going through our annual patting ourselves on the back awards <laughs> as we decide what 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 the best like what what things did we do right and ignore everything we potentially did wrong this I mean, year. 
If you can't create your own podcast and use it to pat yourself on the back, what is it even there for? I mean, we're just happy every year we go by without getting cancelled, to be fair. So. <laughs> Especially when you got like to Liam on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I leave, like, leave podcasting with Liam to the likes of you. Or, Reece, or, or Nathan when he wins when he loses predictions because he has to learn. <laughs> it's the only way you'll learn. But uh, like I said, my, my other podcast, Global Round Podcast, you can find us at SP Rally. An episode just went up uh, two and a half hours. We talked about TNA, or sorry, we talked about Impact Wrestling's Rebellion and everything that happened there. The teasers for the anniversary, some uh, potential big things for that company and everything else going on there. And next week we're going back uh, to the well of Fraser, where we're going to wrap up season or review of season five and start off season six of that show. And uh, with each week's retreat, the stuff I do over there, uh, should be a new episode in a couple of weeks of that uh, Japanese wrestling podcast I do for them called East Meets West out soon. And I think that is all the plugs that I have here. Uh, take the articles we do. I think I don't know if Carl already mentioned Rogue Opinions 20, the WordPress. I've been working on a couple of things, but hopefully I'll get a finger out and actually get one up soon that I'll be able to tell, talk to you about. But, oh, in the words of uh, Covan listeners, as you go to leave us, I'll just say that I hope that our paths cross again. Definitely. That's uh, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. <laughs>